Hello and welcome to the Designing Education Podcast. In today's episode, we're talking to Carrie Ali Violet and Sean Peschel about New Hampshire's extended learning opportunities, which is moving learning outside of the school walls and the school schedule. We can't wait to jump into the conversation. But before we start, we want to take a moment to remind you to subscribe to the Designing Education Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, just to name a few. Subscribe to Designing Education Podcast and never miss an episode. Welcome to the Designing Education Podcast series. I'm Dr. Robert Balfance, Director of the Pathways to Adult Success Program and the Everyone Graduate Center at Johns Hopkins University. I'm delighted to have you join us today. This episode is part one of a two-part discussion with Sean and Carrie and the latest in a series of conversations we're having with education leaders, thinkers, and practitioners from across the country. We'll talk about what it will take to create an education system that truly empowers all young people and sets them on a pathway to long-term success. When I have worked with teams of educators, students, and community members across the nation to redesign high schools, one thing that repeatedly stands in the way is the school schedule and the need to meet seat time requirements to award credits the students need to graduate. There is no better example of how high schools designed for the 20th century no longer work in the 21st century than seat time. Seat time is based on the idea that how much you learn and how well prepared you are for adult success is determined by how long you spend sitting in a classroom. Seat time originated at the turn of the 20th century as a means to standardize student learning experiences as high schools began to become a mass institution. This made some sense when the only real mass access to academic knowledge was from a teacher. To facilitate standardization, the Carnegie unit was adopted across the nation. A total of 120 hours in one subject, meeting four or five times a week for 40 to 60 minutes for 36 to 40 weeks each year, earned the student one unit of high school credit. The high school schedule it produced will be familiar to anyone who went to high school the last 110 years. It will be familiar to yourself, to your parents, to your grandparents, and maybe even your great-grandparents. At the start of the 20th century, 14 Carnegie units were deemed to constitute the minimum amount of preparation that could be interpreted as four years of academic progress of high school preparation. A hundred years later, the standards and accountability movement led to a significant increase in the minimum number of credits students needed to graduate. And in many states, it was increased to 24 credits or six credits a year for four years. This essentially leaves no flexibility in a student's schedule for any form of experiential or out-of-school learning at the time when the sources and location of knowledge and training have multiplied exponentially. This is one reason why innovative efforts like New Hampshire's extended learning opportunities, which break the gridlock of seat time and school schedules, are so important and why we are so excited to have our two guests at the forefront of this work with us today. Carrie Ali Violet. ELO coordinator of the Sanborn Regional High School in New Hampshire and president of the ELO Network, and Sean Peschel, ELO coordinator at Oyster River School and vice president of the ELO Network. Welcome, Carrie and Sean. Thank you, Bob. Yes, great to be here. Thank you so much. As is our custom here before we start our conversation, we ask our guests to share with us, when you were at high school, what was a good day? Carrie, we can start with you. Um, A good day in high school, man, that was a long time ago. A good day of of high school was being able to just be social, be with your friends and and find those passions and just do the things that you like to do. 
Definitely. Uh, getting like high school is all about getting involved, um, not only academically, but also socially and personally um, and kind of making those connections with the staff members and the teachers that worked with us. Did you both experience traditional high school schedules? I know I did. Oh, I sure did. I uh, went to a school in northern Maine and it was a very traditional, very in that seat time that you spoke about earlier was very much there. So to see how much education has evolved over the last several years has been awesome. And for myself, I went to a um, Catholic private high school in Connecticut, uh, born and raised in Connecticut and went to the, the school there. And senior year was the first year that electives kind of got introduced to the school curriculum overall. Um, it was kind of a pretty much scripted every year, freshman through senior year. Um, and we had a, a crazy schedule where the periods would rotate throughout the day. So on Monday, first period was first, but then that on Tuesday, it dropped to the end of the day and kind of rotated throughout the week. Um, and first period, I think, was a little bit longer so that science classes could have longer lab time. Wonderful. So let's dive into it. Carrie, can you share with us what extended learning opportunities in New Hampshire are? Yes, extended learning opportunities in the state of New Hampshire is anything that happens outside of the traditional classroom. Um, It could be job shadowing, internships, or it could be advanced studies into some content that that school just does not or is not able to offer. Some of it is outside of the school hours. Some of it is outside of the, the walls of the school as well. Um, The beauty about New Hampshire is that it's all to the local school of how they expand that and what that means to them. So it might mean a little bit different at my school than it does at Sean's school. Um, But for the most part, it's providing those opportunities for students to learn outside of a traditional classroom. And what's nice about them, too, is that they're also competency driven, not time driven. So the number of competencies that the students working to obtain or show mastery in kind of dictates and and, um, elevates and explains how much credit the student earns. And again, that's something that may be different between Carrie and and my school district, um, where, for example, for myself, for four to five competencies, it's a half credit. Eight to 10 competencies is a full credit. Um, If a student wants that full credit experience, but doesn't know what eight to 10 competencies they'll work towards, we break that down a little bit smaller, do a part one of four to five, and then part two for a new to four to five uh, competencies, which is kind of nice, so. Yeah, so you're building all kinds of flexibilities and sort of meet students where they are. Very exciting. Carrie or Sean, how how did extended learning opportunities in New Hampshire come about? Sean, I'll let you take the lead on that because I'm newer to New Hampshire than Sean is, so... Sure, sure. Um, I think it was back in 2008, um, our state school board, so the governing board over the whole state regulations and minimum requirements, changed our minimum requirements from days um, in the classroom to more hours in the classroom. And along those lines, it also created this concept of competency-based education. We're no longer, it's kind of a a game of learning and passing tests and quizzes and so on and so forth that students are actually provided that playbook and they can see in this course, we're going to meet these standards, these competencies, these learning targets along the way. Um, So when that was rolled out, also our dropout age changed. It went from being 16 years old and it was increased to 18 years old. Along those lines, ELOs or extended learning opportunities came into play too. So you had this kind of perfect storm of now it's no longer um, seat time, it's competencies. We are trying to increase our graduates, having more students graduate high school rather than drop out from high school, and also creating these experiential opportunities for students to be successful while in school. But also, how can we expand and, and enhance what we're currently offering in the building too? How can this be used not only as a remediation, but also as a progression forward for students to excel in different areas that they want to excel in? I think it's very interesting that, you know, one of the motivations, not the only, but one was this idea that 
for some of the older students that had sort of become disengaged with schooling, that was really important to give them different ways to learn and not saying just come back and try to redo what you didn't like in the first place. Exactly. That kind of started the conversation in the counseling offices of like, what did it work for you when you were here and how can we change that to get you through? Um, so it was a kind of a, a, a shift on learning and, and more instead of being teacher driven, being more student focused and student driven, student designed, which has been, has been great about the ELO process. Can you give us some examples of what what, what would be extended learning opportunity? I know you've talked about it in general, various things that it would be, but give us a few specifics. Yeah, sure. It, and care if you want to feel free to jump into if you if, if you want. Um, some some that I've experienced in my time here at Oyster River has been um, a student was really engaged and want to learn more about assistive technology, um, and she herself had a learning disability and wanted to kind of learn other ways for her to be successful in the classroom, but also then creating tutorial videos and so on and so forth for other students to access those same assistive technology um, opportunities and options. Um, we've had students that have gone on and earned American Sign Language credit, um, interior design, uh, self-teaching of, of self-taught of accounting. Um, we've wow. had students go off and get their pilot's license, real estate license, licensed nursing assistant um, license. And then also I currently had a student to just wrap up a marine uh, lab technician experience over at UNH working with a, a lab um, over there at the university. So did I hear you say one of them was self-taught accounting? A lot of the stuff that we do with our students, the independent coursework or the advanced studies is driven by the student kind of learning on their own. And they're partnered with a mentor teacher that is just that yeah. it's more of a mentor than a teacher. So it kind of flips that classroom where the student may be struggling with something and goes and reaches out to like, hey, this what, you know, it's teacher that I'm working with. What do you think I should do about this? How should I, you know, blend this together? How can I show proof that I've learned mastery in this area? Um, very similar to how that self-design or working with your advisor at the, at the college level kind of feels like. Yeah. What, what I like about that, the, the whimsy in me and the historian in me is that, you know, when they were uh, first trying to, you know, convince everyone that it was good for all students to go to high school, um, that, you know, one of those selling points then was that uh, the high tech job of the day was bookkeeping. <laughs> and they were, made the case that you could learn that in high school. So I think this I like this full circle. And now we've come to the you can self-teach yourself accounting and break some of those those those, those uh, chains that have been built up along the time. Absolutely. Some examples that we have here. Um, I've had some students go through uh, a pipe fitting course. So it's kind of given them an opportunity to jumpstart their career. And we've been able to tie it to some core classes so um, to give some science credit because they've gone through three sections of pipe fitting and now they're a license. They just now have to get their hours in. They have their certificate for that. So that's just amazing. We've had lots of kids go through like an LNA course. And the next step is they might want to go into nursing, but the, the nursing home is not necessarily their forte. So I put them with our local EMS service and they're out on an ambulance every afternoon, you know, waiting for a call. And they're getting those hands-on emergency experiences all the way up to, I have kids doing um, like microbiology. We don't offer that in our school, but they're really curious and they, and they want to um, expand that. So their mentor is one of our science teachers. And then they hook up with um, our local uh, University of New Hampshire and they're able to do projects that way. One more really cool, I also do some group ELOs, and one of those, we have a submarine team this year who has, um, they were gifted a submarine that was used in a competition a little bit ago, and they are redesigning it. 
They all eight of them have gone and now have their scuba certification, which is really cool. So they have an, a, a credential that they can use. And they are designing each piece of what they need to do for this competition, all the way from their logos, their websites. Um, so the experience, if, you know, we talk about seat time and in a normal traditional classroom, this would be a one credit course maybe. But the amount that these students are putting into it, we think about each individual thing. They've done a tech piece with their website uh, and their logo design, and they've done an industry credential as a scuba certified, and now they're going in and doing the engineering and the welding and that the piece of the actual submarine. So there's three credits right there where traditionally if we just count seat time, that would be a one credit course. In the, in the true integration and, and applied knowledge of the learning, like you're seeing your learning in action and it's integrating not only am I learning in this classroom, in this silo, then the bell rings, I go to this new classroom with a new silo. No, it's all about your experience and kind of blending all those worlds and all those um, experiences together. Wow. Those are, those are really amazing examples and everything from pipe fitting to the scuba mm-hmm. to to web design, all kinds of things you can see both have real relevance, but also you could see like that would really excite kids to get up in the morning and sort of dive into. And it just gets kids so excited about even coming to school. So when I came here nine years ago, we had 18 kids doing internship experiences. Now I work with about 140 kids through the year um, of doing ELO experiences. They're not just internships, they're advanced studies, they're job shadows. Um, and it's just word of mouth. I mean, I have parents of freshmen that will email and say, okay, when is my student eligible to now participate in that program? So it's just, it's just so fun to see that grow and that excitement and that gets that engagement and especially that engagement piece we've missed over the last couple of years due to COVID. Now it's just coming more and more. That's that, that's marvelous. And this, I guess this is the day for, for whimsical thoughts on my part, because the other thing that's this triggered me was that hundreds of years ago in the Buddhist monasteries of Thailand, they had a, a thing that you could go to them to, to learn. That was the education institutions at the time. And their, their claim was they would teach you anything uh, that you wanted to learn. The the catch was that they didn't know it. You'd have to work on the farm until they went and learned it to teach to you. So this is a, a modern adaptation of that where there, we don't, we don't, we don't make them work on the farm for a while, but we get them right to sort of exciting learning opportunities. For sure. And I think that's also the shift too, is that schools and, you know, historically, and even some traditionally right now, it's, they're so adult driven. And with the ELOs, if they're student driven, student designed, student focused, it makes them, puts them in the driver's seat. Um, no matter if they're a, a high achieving honors level student, a struggling learner, maybe has an IEP or a 504 or just a run of the mill average kid going through school. Anybody can access ELOs. It's ELOs for all. Um, and kind of when people usually ask me what, you know, what is your job as an ELO, what, what ELO coordinator, what do you do? I say, well, I work to individualize, personalize and customize students' high school experiences um, through academic growth and career development. And that's through doing things that are exposure, um, maybe field trips or to industries or to colleges, um, maybe some exploration of job shadows or informational interviews. Um, and then also experiences of internships, advanced studies, and so on. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that's, 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 that's wonderful. And we've, you know, we've talked a little now about um, how this really changes the, the student experience and the student's engagement and motivation have you, have you seen this having broader effects on how the schools themselves are redesigning their approach to teaching and learning? 
Absolutely. So our extended learning network throughout the state has really grown in the last um, eight to 10 years as far as the amount of people and the amount of schools that have a designated person that now does that coordination is have that job like Sean and I. Um, when I first got here nine years ago, that group was relatively small, you know, 30 to 40 people. Now we have um, state meetings and we're up to 60, 70 people that come to these meetings to learn more what they can do and how they can provide these experiences for their students. And these are, you know, again, people that are school districts are now designating people to do it. Used to be maybe a guidance counselor would be part of their job or a teacher, it would be part of their job. But now when I was hired here, part of my day, I was a business technology teacher for three periods and three periods I worked with extended learning opportunities that for the past six years, I just do extended learning opportunities because the demand is there for our students. It's evolved. Even some school districts are even requiring as a graduation requirement that you need to do so many credits or so many experiences in ELOs. And, they can, and then the school defines what those ELOs could be or what, the, what those areas of focus could be. So it's been an evolution of being a part-time position that's tacked onto somebody else's job to then a full-time position to now a graduation requirement if the district chooses to. Wow. So it's really, really growing. Well, one thing I, I wonder about is that as this has got more known and it's, it's out there in the communities, are like businesses coming to you and saying, we want to give you some opportunities so that your, our, your students are better prepared to ultimately come work for us? Absolutely. That's the best part of my job is when I get those phone calls and they're seeking us out. Um, especially, I have to say, since COVID and businesses needing employees and, and needing workers, they're willing to train these students of like, you know, we'll, we'll do paid internships and we'll now... Um, teach them what they need to know for this career path. And that gives those students that, that, again, that jump. They can use that senior year to do a certificate program or, and it also might even give them a little leg up if they're going into college for the next time to, or for when they apply. So it's really, I find that I get phone calls on the weekly of, oh, we're looking for a student to do this. Do you have anybody to, that could help us? And I think that's sometimes the hardest part of the job is that you have employers wanting the students, but then when you reach out to the students, you don't have anybody to fill those wants and vice versa. A student might want something um, that I need to take, put them on pause for a little bit to then do some outreach into the community to find a placement for them. So does that kind of cart before the horse or stick and carrot type thing. It's kind of always back and forth of how we're going to make those partnerships come together. But when they do, they're, they're amazing. They're, they're, they truly are students that surprise us and our industry and our community partners are always blown away by the students that we connect with them. What's nice too is our, the structure of our ELO network. We have regions. Sean and I happen to be in the same region. So if I can't fill a position with a student, um, I may reach out to him and say, hey, do you have anybody that's interested in in this career path? Because we have, you know, a business that's close by that is looking for someone. So we can utilize each other, too, which is really nice. We protect some of our businesses, but we like to share with each other as well. Right, right, right. <laughs> and also sharing our, you know, creating that classroom of, of, of our own. For example, we um, when the LNA program, the Licensed Nursing Assistant um, grant rolled out with our state, uh, there was a grant offered to, to certify 300 
new LNAs in our state. And that was open to high school only aged kids. And you can get certified in our state at the age of 16 to be an LNA. So what we did as a region, we kind of pulled together students that were interested in, in the agency that we worked with for the training. Um, we were able to kind of merge all these high school students from different high schools into one training experience. So it was kind of nice that we were able to fill a classroom from multiple schools to make a new school. And Sean, for our listeners, could you just just remind them what LNA is? Sure. And LNA is a licensed nursing assistant. Um, it's an entry level position into the nursing profession, um, mostly working in long term care facilities, nursing homes and even hospitals, too. Uh, they're pretty much if you talk to any nurse in the hierarchy of nursing. They're kind of the backbone that they make the one. They're, they're the ones that make the 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 care take place, you know, from um, maybe, you know, washing or lifting or transporting, moving around the hospitals or, or long term care facilities. Currently, a little plug too. Um, we had a student that went to the program last year. She's making 30 dollars an hour as a 17 year old um, and she worked during her our holiday break um, she worked christmas eve and christmas day and earned double time and a half so she's making 75 dollars an hour as a 17 year old so pretty pretty cool stuff happening wonderful yeah and i do like how organic it is like you know the idea comes from a company ideas come from kids you're the the, the elo coordinator is sort of the air traffic controller figuring out how to make it work for all as opposed to, you know, historically CTE itself was much more rigid. Here are three offerings. We've had them for 15 years. <laughs> no one may do them anymore, but we still have them, right? Yes. Like, yeah, for sure. You know, we know coming back from COVID that it, num- a number of our high schools are still experiencing very high rates of chronic absenteeism. Um, in some cases, many half of the, of the kids are still missing a month or more of school. And part of me has always wondered if a little bit of this is, is not that the kids during the pandemic recognize they can learn as much or more outside of school as in it. Um, And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that. In my experience, I think a lot that social anxiety of coming back into the building um, with a lot of our students is a real thing for sure. Um, I think offering them other opportunities outside of our building has alleviated some of that anxiety. and has given them a little bit more of like a hope and a pathway of, oh, wow, I can learn to do this, but I don't have to sit in a classroom with a group of my peers. I could go to the local fire department and we and I can learn that same skill here. Um, so for anything, I think it's kind of brought extended learning opportunities up to the top of for a lot of schools of how can we provide alternative ways for our students to uh, learn the content, the competencies that we are required for them to learn, but give them a way that they're engaged and they're prideful in how that they can learn that. And, and just finding that little engagement piece. Now they want to come to school. It's okay. I know I have to take English, but hey, at the end of the day, I get to go to the local uh, auto shop and I get to learn how to change oil in a car kind of thing, you know? So I I think it has done what we've always known, like getting kids out of the building and and finding that passion is going to engage them in everything else. I think COVID had just kind of put that back in the top for all of us to kind of see that. And I think dovetailing with that, too, is you know, we're currently facing, I know, in New Hampshire, maybe across the nation, like this whole idea of the, the mental health crisis that's going on. Um, and so I think some of our students who struggle with their social emotional well-being, um, providing them that the ELO opportunities or that career development and career focus provides them some 
again, focuses the haze they may be in and provides them purpose to move forward and be a part of something and grow into something. Um, yes, high school is maybe one of those barriers or things that are in the way, but how can we make high school more designed for you to, to meet your needs, but also be, prepare you for what you want to be in the future, which has been a nice detail. Yeah. It's like, you know, we didn't realize how important connection to school was until we lost it. And now we have to find ways to, to rebuild it. And it seems like the extended learning opportunities really are one, one great way. Absolutely. As we, as we bring the, our first part, one of our two-part conversation to a close, uh, Carrie and Sean, um, is there anything else our listeners should know um, that you've learned about just the, the power and the value of extended learning opportunities? And also, is there any website or place they can go to learn more? Sure. Website-wise, you definitely can go to our, our network's website, which is N-H-E-L-O network, N-E-T-W-O-R-K.com. Um, there you'll see all of the leadership team members of our organization. It also highlights how the network works to advocate, educate, and advance the best practices of extended learning opportunities. Um, and then also there's another website that's out there, which is a collection of different ELOs that have taken place in our state. It's beyondclassroom.org. And I think that was owned at one time by Keene State College in our state. Um, and they are the ones that kind of maintain, uh, there's a person that, that's, that maintains and updates it. Um, and puts requests out for active ELOs that have been successful to then implement in your own school and provide the opportunities that they've had success with. Yeah, and that leadership team from that website is a good contact point for anybody. Oftentimes people will reach out and have um, a question of how to get started or uh, to work in a particular field. And then collectively we can uh, reach out with our expertise and be able to get that person started and moving. Wonderful, wonderful. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, Carrie and Sean. Now, as we close out today's episode, I'd like to remind you this is part one of a two-part discussion. If you enjoy this conversation, tune in next month as we invite Carrie and Sean back to discuss what it takes to implement extended learning opportunities in schools and how this is helping to pick the lock of seat time and high school credits. As we close, we want to ask you to please subscribe to Designing Education to stay up to date on all the revolutionary work happening in education. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a five-star review. Also, please share the show with a friend or a colleague or on social media. This has been Robert Balfance from the Everyone Graduate Center and the Pathways to Adult Success Project. Thanking everyone for listening, inviting you to listen in to the other episodes in our Designing Education series wherever you listen to podcasts. Onward and be well.